What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And today, it is truly great to have you with us on this Thursday. Dave Revs and Jake Budd, we are sitting here in Chicago now, but just over three weeks from now, you and I will be in Ooh. Pasadena getting set for the college football playoff. Cannot wait for Some Michigan sunshine. Yes. Oh, my good. gosh. It's going to be great. Yeah. Get, get away from the Chicago winter. I love Chicago, but it will be nice to get some uh, nice warm weather out Yes, there. and throw in some very compelling football as well. Why not? Regardless of what you think of how it was chosen, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Inarguably, we have a really good college football playoff Final Four. That, of course, is our big story. And as you're probably aware, the field is set. We have those two games on New Year's Day. Again, Jake and I will be there for Michigan and Alabama in the Rose Bowl. Washington and Texas will play in the Sugar Bowl. The winners meet one week later in Houston to play for the national championship. We sincerely hope to be there as well. This is the first time, Jake, that we have had you on since Sunday. So I, I realize to some extent it's been talked about a lot. Yeah. But everyone that, that I've had on, I just kind of want to know their thoughts. And so I want to know your thoughts on this selection process and specifically the decision to leave Florida State out and to put Alabama in. Yeah, so, you know, did, did the committee get it right? And the people that are saying, yes, they got it right, it was they, they had to get the best four teams. I even think they got that wrong. I think if you're thinking the best four teams, Georgia should have been in there somehow, right? Just by that standard, it's a contradiction. Even though they just lost to Alabama? They're still a best four because, right, that that's, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. Um if, so by the, by the measure of getting the best four, I also say, when did, you know, there's, there's a, an opinion out there of saying, well, yeah, they had to pick the best four. Since when? Since, well, that's what it says in the bylaws. But since when, though, right? Because remember, you know, the rankings earlier in the season, Ohio right. State was ranked number one, and we were all collectively having the conversation saying, ah, they're the most deserving to be number one, but probably not the number one team. So right. that contradicts itself. I, I do, I, I'm frustrated for Florida State because, I get it. You're without your starting quarterback, and, and you could say, hey, if they get to the playoffs, they might get ran off the field. Well, they earned the right to at least compete and have that potential. I just I put myself in their shoes, and I know how frustrating that must have been. Um, and, and it's a tough thing because what we're doing is, is we're, you know, the structure is the key thing here. We're letting uh, the committee, a group of people, pick subjectively who they think is the best for four teams uh, to, to make it to the final four. We know football is the greatest sport because anything can happen, right? There has to be some other structure to give teams a chance. That's part of the drama and the fun. So I, I don't think they got it right. But as you mentioned, as far as the matchups go, as far as what we're about to see, it's going to be unbelievable. I look at this and say this was bound to happen at some point. It's amazing we got as far as we did Great point. without it happening because when you have five power conferences and you have four spots, the math doesn't add up. And I think, with all due respect to the Pac-12, had the Pac-12 not been as bad as it has been up until this year? Like, what's the variable this year? Yeah. The Pac-12 has a worthy team. The Pac-12 hasn't had a worthy team for quite some time. And so we've been able to escape the bad math 
yeah. that was involved in this from the get-go, but it, it was misconceived. The other thing I'll say, and you talk about the committee, and I don't want to get too far afield on this, but I've been saying for years that the way to do this is with computers. Yes. It's just to do better inputs yeah. into the computers. You know, you think about, like, people who devise trading models, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's hundreds and hundreds of variables that they plug in. They back test it. They look at what results they would have gotten years ago and then see, okay, is it a good forecasting model? Like, all that stuff. All you need to do is sit down with yeah. really knowledgeable football people and say, hey, we're comfortable with coming up with a formula that includes dozens of inputs, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't have to be as simple as the old computer formula was. You sit with computer programming people. You sit with football people. Tell me what makes a good right. football team. Tell me what you prioritize. And then you come up with a computer model that spits that out. The best thing that, that I agree with you on that. And the best thing for that is it's repeatable and it's yes. known, right? It takes some of the guesswork out of it, which is the guesswork is why Florida State is so frustrated. It's why some people that support them are frustrated. That would be the great way to, to kind of take the human error part out of this. One other key thing that I find, because we talk about the, the five major conferences and only four get in. This is two conferences as, as, as far as it goes next yes. year. This is yeah. the Big Ten versus the SEC starting next year. So you can see the direction that college football is kind of headed. So that was the big discussion on Sunday. And then this week it has kind of morphed into the transfer portal. Yeah. I mean, that, that is what has dominated conversation in college football. Nearly 1,200 players entered the portal on Monday. And to me, this is just the, the new reality, kind of regardless of what anyone thinks this is this is where we are yeah. and so my question for you is not whether you think this is a good thing or a bad thing because it's irrelevant it, it doesn't matter what any of us think this is the reality my question for you is really how do you think that it impacts each of the major programs and even maybe not the major programs how does it impact other programs here going forward in this new reality well i'll, I'll say this because i remember being a rookie in the nfl and i was sitting on the training table right right as free agency hit and i'm watching the headlines go go it, it was bananas and i texted my agent and i'm like man is it always like this like this is crazy this is madness he's like yes this is this is just what it is just to your point dave yeah. like this is where we're at right this this is the, this is normal to us going forward how the impact is I think it maybe has less of an impact than what the headlines, particularly this week early on, have. Like, there, there's a lot of roster turnover, but there's only a handful of guys that actually make a, a measurable impact. Where it does make an impact or has the potential to make an impact is when you have a new coaching hire, a new head coach, you can turn over your roster. Lincoln Riley's a great example of that. I mean, literally turned that program around overnight. But for most teams, you're losing some, you're gaining some, and your net, your net gain or net loss is, is very, it's negligible at best, right? There's just, there's just a handful of guys that are actually needle movers in the, in the portal. I think the big thing that I worry about, and again, I, I, I'm almost contradicting myself because I said it doesn't matter what we think because this is the reality. I do worry about people giving up their spots. Like I think we focus on the top players at the top programs because that's what's most interesting. I still worry about the educational component about it. I worry about kids giving up their spots and not being able to find a place somewhere else and giving up the, yeah. the possibility of a college degree, which I still think is a, a really important and valuable thing to get out of this system. But again, I, I think we're at a point now where players realize that risk. And, and again, we're not talking about the upper echelon players. We're talking about the guys who didn't see playing time at other programs, maybe middle tier to bottom tier programs that say I'm transferring and, and will they find a spot. But again, yeah. like 
I think everyone at this point has their eyes wide open, yeah. right? I mean, I, I think that was more of a concern two or three years ago than it is now. If you don't know that that possibility exists, then you're just not paying attention. Here's my hope uh, for this, because like th what, what's leading the headlines right now is NIL money. Like, what's your chance to get? And, and again, this is very top heavy. Like, right. there's a few guys at right. the top making like 90% plus of the money. The rest of it, I, I can't call it, it's, it's great money. Even 50,000 is a lot of money. Right. That's not, you're not retiring on that. That's not necessarily life-changing money. So what, what my hope would be is I feel, you know, I, I hope the advice isn't all about NIL and going to chase 40 or 50 or 60 grand. I, I hope someone's saying that there's a principle for some of these guys to say, hey, if you can sit here and say, I'm going to stay when, where it's challenging and I'm going to make it work. And I understand that's not going to be the case for everybody. I'm going to find a way to make this work. That principle is infinitely valuable, right? And, and you, you'll go through some trial, and, and maybe you don't get it in the end. I, I think about my own experience at Michigan when I walked on campus as a freshman. There were two new sophomores ahead of me. Both of them started their entire freshman year. One of them was a freshman All-American. I called my dad the first spring ball, and I said, Dad, I don't think I'm going to play here. I think I need a transfer. And he said, well, what do you need to do to play? You know, you need to get bigger. You need to get stronger. You need to study your playbook. Let's do all that and see where you're at. I'm so glad I listened to his advice. That fight and that fire allowed me to have the career that I did. I get that that's not the case for everybody, but I hope that that advice is at least being shared with kids at some level. Right, and I mean, the flip side of that is you look at the four Heisman finalists, and we'll talk about them later in the show, and three of them are transfers, yeah. right? I mean, so... Again, I, I don't think there's no one answer that works for everyone. I just think you need to look at all of the information, all of the inputs that are coming at you, and, and make the best decision. And you mentioned NIL money, and I think the truth is this is inextricably tied to NIL, certainly at the very top. It has to be. It is. And there was some significant NIL news this week, at least a proposal from Charlie Baker, who's the new president of the NCAA. And the, the upshot of it, for those who haven't, followed this closely is that the NCAA is proposing a structure where the NIL collectives are taken out of the equation, where schools are able to bring that in-house. You're going to have to put together what would essentially be a trust fund yes. for players, guaranteeing about $30,000 a year at minimum for each scholarship player that is going to be part of this system. You would have to pay half of your scholarship athletes and it would have to be Title IX compliant. So we're talking about, if you do the math, a minimum of $6 million a year per school to buy into this. And essentially what this is, is taking the revenues which are coming in and redistributing some of them to the players. So what do you make of this proposal? And again, I think the devil's in the details. And, and, and this is something that we can talk about kind of at, at a surface level, a 30,000-foot level. But I think, you know, so much of it is going to be sorting through the fine print of it. But philosophically, what do you think of this notion of the schools now being in the NIL game? So I, for, I appreciate the letter in the proposal because we're, we, we just talked about it. The conversation needs to be had. This, there, there needs to be structure and imagination to find a path forward, right? So it's good. By pushing this out, you start a conversation. Um, the key is, though, is it's, it's an individual school basis to opt in or opt out. It doesn't have to be the whole Big Ten or the whole SEC. There could be two or three teams that opt in and the rest opt out and continue on on their path. So then the fear might be is, well, man, that's the have and the have-nots. Isn't that been our whole concern the whole time? To me, I, I still say yes, but that is exactly how it's going to be anyways. What this, the potential for this 
is provide structure and clarity. You know, there's, there's a Texas A&M player that, that uh, you know, came out recently, and he said, a lot of the money I was promised, I didn't get anyways, right? That's because this is being handled without structure, kind of off the table a little bit. If the schools handle this, it would be much cleaner, much more structured. I, I do think eventually this, this in some form is the path forward. I do think it, it points out what you're saying, which is that we're going to end up in a world where intercollegiate athletics are bifurcated, right? There's, there's two different groups. But I think kind of to your point, we already have been that. been that way, right? We already have that. And even within this system, so if you opt in, you could opt in at the bare minimum. And yeah. you could say, okay, we're comfortable with this at whatever it ends up being. Again, it's just a proposal. Maybe it's $6 million a year. Maybe it's a little more. Maybe it's a little less. But it's not capped. So schools can put in whatever they want to put in. Yeah. So you would think just by means of example, for every $6 million school, there may be a number of 10 or 12 or however many million dollar schools yeah. that, are, that are willing to commit to this more fully. So you are going to still have this two-tiered system. I think the other thing that people have brought up is what it will mean for Olympic sports. And, and will schools still continue to, it's, it's going to be, you have to be at least half of your scholarship athletes. And so will one of the responses be to have fewer scholarship athletes? Yeah. I mean, I, I just think people are going to, it's a natural question to ask as, as to how schools will respond. It has to be, and this is the whole thing where it's like to get something, typically you have to give something up. And that's a frustrating thing for some, and it's a great thing for others. I, I totally get that perspective. But maybe if you have the conversations now, you can figure out a path forward. Maybe if you start this conversation before you sign the dotted line, you could find a path forward that makes sense for everybody. Another thought I just had is, you know, part of this getting into the portal and everything, if it goes through the schools, that could be a contract. And maybe it's something where it's vested to disincentivize multiple transfer portal. You know, you're transferring every two or three years. Hey, maybe you vest after two or three years at the same school. So it, it helps slow down some of this mobility. Record numbers are entering the portal every year. It is exploding. We'll probably hit record numbers again next year. So potentially this could be a, a way to mitigate some of that. It is fascinating. And I think just to put it out on the table, to your point, start a conversation, get people thinking about what's a structure where everyone knows what the rules are because there is this kind of Wild West feel to it right now. And along those lines, let's dive into what's going on right now. Uh, how all of this has impacted the Big Ten. And quarterbacks, I think, are front and center just because of the nature of the position. It is the highest profile position, not just in football, but in all of sport it is, is an uh, NFL or college quarterback. So let's start with Kyle McCord leaving Ohio State. Ryan Day had said the day before McCord made his announcement that McCord was not guaranteed to be their starting quarterback going forward, what impact that had on McCord or whether that was a response to him knowing the decision had already been made. I don't think we fully know that yet, but what do you make of the decision of a guy who was the starting quarterback every game for a team that was a top 10 team all season deciding that with eligibility left, he's going to leave. And, and really, like, he had a, he had a damn good season, he did right? The numbers were, were solid. Just, you know, you're judged in Columbus uh, uh, from that rivalry game, and, and that was, to me, probably a big part of this. He's the guy I'm talking about when I think about 
you know, I, I hope he at least thought it through to say, hey, I can compete here. I'm going to get better. I'm going to take the next six, seven, eight months, and I'm going to become the best quarterback I can be. I know I had a good year, but I also know Ohio State is a place that develops quarterbacks and surrounds me with talent and a quality defense. I can succeed in this system. But at the same time, he has to, he has to consider the finite time you have to play this game, and he has to go, hey, if I can get a guaranteed starting job somewhere, he's the perfect example of how you, how you navigate that. But I, I think about who, where Ohio State is. They, they have to get a transfer portal guy. Like next year, the urgency to win maybe has never been higher. You have to beat your rival. You have to get back to a, a conference title. So they need a guy with experience that can get them there. And when I say that, I, I think about the for quarterbacks – Fit and system and situation matter so much, and maybe there's not a more desirable place to play quarterback. I mean, Ohio State, they have NAL funds. You know, they can, they can yeah. pay you, right? They have a system that allows quarterbacks to flourish, and they surround you with talent and wide receiver talent there in Columbus. So there's a bunch of selling points that indicate to me I think they're going to be able to almost handpick who they want in the portal. Previous three quarterbacks before McCord had all been Heisman finalists. Cam Ward of Washington State, clearly out there. A lot of people are, are targeting him. He's a name that at least has circulated some. Uh, Michigan State is an interesting one. Three quarterbacks entering the portal there. The coaching change clearly with Jonathan Smith is part of that. What do you make of Michigan State's situation here going forward? I mean, they have to. It's the same thing, right? there. And, and maybe that's what they're communicating to us, where Jonathan Smith probably came in and said, hey, listen, we believe that we have someone coming into the portal you guys will have to compete with him. And they said, okay, really what you're telling me, coach, is you got your guy already, right? And that guy's most likely Aiden Childs, uh, a guy that, you know, played under Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. He recruited. That seems just like the obvious pick, right, is, is he's going to slide right in, understands the system. Also a young guy, too. One of the challenges with getting veterans in the transfer portal is, is you can't build a structure in a culture. You don't have that consistency year over year. He would be a redshirt freshman. So he could be the quarterback for today and tomorrow for the Spartans. And I think the difference between a situation like Ohio State's where you need to win now and a situation like Michigan State's is you can take a younger guy with an eye on what is this going to look like two years from now or three years from now. And, and it is a different situation, and maybe it gives you the luxury of flexibility, although clearly Michigan State would love to be in an Ohio State spot com competitive-wise. This is a chance now to, hey, let's build around a guy who you know, Charles really highly thought of. Uh, Indiana needs a quarterback. Brendan Sorsby off to Cincinnati. It's the other coaching change. Kurt Signetti has an incredible history with quarterbacks. What do you think of the situation here? Well, it's the same situation, too, very similar at least to Michigan State, where you know, you're going to have some time. Coach Signetti is going to have some time to get this thing right, but there is an urgency. You know, Both are true, where there is an urgency to find a guy. I believe the JMU quarterback is also in the portal. He is. As well. so it's a, yes, hey, Jordan McLeod. Let's just follow our coach. <laughs> it's a package deal, I guess, right? I mean, it makes a lot of sense. So, um, again, like when you, the good thing is, is if you're a new coach, and you can get the quarterback figured out. What a luxury, right? So, Yeah, absolutely. And then Minnesota also lost their starter, Ethan Kaliak-Manis. They already have a commitment from the quarterback at New Hampshire, Max Brosmer, who was a finalist for the Walter Payton Award yep. this year, given to the top offensive player in FCS. So it is spinning quickly, and, and there will we'll be keep lots, you more, we'll lots keep you more spinning going on here. Harrison Jr., just the latest, an impressive run of Heisman finalists for Ohio State. Amazingly, he is the sixth in the last six years. Remember, they had two in 2019. Of course, the last Big Ten school to produce a Heisman winner, Troy Smith, back in 2006. 
Amazing run. He's a dominant player, as Jake rejoins me here. But I think the truth of the matter is he's going to be hard-pressed to, to win the Heisman. But I'm thrilled that he gets a chance to go to New York City. Yeah, you know, to, for it to be a non-quarterback, you need to have historically great numbers. Right. And then, then you need some help from the rest of the party. So, obviously, th this is probably going to a quarterback, most likely, like you said. But, you know, I, I do think in college football, stats are extremely deceiving. You know, think about a team like Ohio State. One, they're, they're blowing out a lot of their opponents, which means they're not going to throw the ball for four quarters. And Marvin isn't even going to play four quarters. You know, he's probably sitting out a quarter, a quarter and a half, a good number of his games, which equates to effectively missing three or four games throughout the whole season. But what the, the tape is undeniable. You watch the way Michigan, the respect Michigan gave to him, putting two on him a, a majority of the time. You know, the Minnesota game, they were putting two or three on him. You know, that staff said, which was very surprising, they're like, we actually think we should make we have to make Ohio State run the football. Usually most staff say, hey, we gotta stop the run. They said, no, we gotta stop number 18, Marvin right. Harrison Jr. That's the ultimate sign of respect. And he's gonna end up being a two-time unanimous All-American. And just for perspective, you think of all the great wide receivers Ohio State has had, they had never had a unanimous All-American wide wow. receiver before last year. He's wow. gonna end up doing it twice. It, it's it's been a remarkable career. And again, I'd love to be pleasantly surprised and have him win this on Saturday. But I'm with you. I think it's going to end up being one of these quarterbacks. So I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Joel. Who do you think should win it? Who do you think will win it? Who will win it? I feel it's either Penix or Jaden Daniels. I think Bo Nix, just because of the head-to-head, -head, he, he's out of it, right? So it's going to yep. be those two quarterbacks. Who I think should win it, I, I, to me, it's Jaden Daniels. You know, the Heisman goes to the nation's most outstanding player. I mean, I, I look at Jaden Daniels' numbers, and I've seen it with my own two eyes. He had, you know, by far the best numbers. Tier 1 quarterback passing numbers, right? The, the passing numbers were excellent. He had tier one running back numbers as well, right? He ran for more yards than nine teams. I mean, think about that, right? That's, <laughs> so, and you can look at the final record and say, ah, well, you know, Penix is undefeated. Jaden Daniels, that's not the case. But I would say, man, where would they be without him, right? I right. mean, he, he willed that team to victory a number of times. So, I mean, he's the definition of outstanding, in my opinion. I hear you, and I, I, I think that's what's going to end up happening. I mean, that's, that's kind of the sense. You look at these straw polls. It's not his fault that LSU gave up 47 points per game in their three losses. I mean, that's, that's a lot of points. That's a lot of points. <laughs> a lot of points. It is beyond his control. I do agree with what Joel said, that you do have to factor in winning in there somewhere. And, and again, I just said, I don't think it's Daniel's fault that LSU didn't win those big games. But, man, Michael Penix had a lot to do with his team winning. And yeah. are they in the college football playoff without him? I think the answer is a resounding no. no. Right. Right. And so it is a challenging year, I think, to make the decision in that regard. But uh, lots of deserving candidates this year, no doubt. And, and again, just throw the C. Marvin Harrison Jr. Absolutely. Get that trip to New York. Because congratulations to Rutgers. Let's go back to football. A new Michigan State coach, Jonathan Smith, announcing a number of staff moves. He announced 11 hires in all, including six assistant coaches, all of whom run his staff last year at Oregon State. The headliner is Brian Lindgren, who will serve as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, as he did in Corvallis. Uh, let's talk a little bit about these two coaching moves. Initial thoughts on Smith and this move to East Lansing. Yeah, so I think about his opening presser, and I was really impressed because I, I think there's, a, there's something to be said about knowing how to win for each school, right? And he talked about, basically he said, we, we, are, we have to be a developmental program. We have to recruit guys, and we have to develop guys. And I look at a few things about his time at Oregon State. The back half of his coaching tenure was better than the first half, right? Like, he, they yes. were improving steadily every year. I also look at the recruiting classes, somewhere between, like, 50 and 90, so about middle of the pack, uh, plus or minus. 
Really what that means is he was doing exactly what he said he would do, develop and allow the team to succeed. Also, those two facts combined point to culture, right? Having a culture of development and a culture of improvement year over year, which allows you to have success. I, you know, I played against Coach D'Antonio. Um, that, that's, that is what I expected every time we were going to play Michigan State. Toughness, uh, guys that were going to leave it all on the field, guys that felt they had something to prove. I also think there's something to be said about Oregon State, Oregon. Oregon is like the big brand in that state. Michigan State, Michigan. Right now, Michigan is the big brand in the state. You have to leverage that a little bit to your players. You have to you know, lean into that, play into that, so those guys can play a little angry and pissed off. So I think this hire is uh, phenomenal, and it, this will get Michigan State back on track. With you 100% agree on literally every word you said. I think the big thing, too, that I look at when it comes to the Big Ten is even if you're an offensive guru, which he is, can you play defense? And, and his teams have, have played to. really good defense in a conference that's hard to play defense in sometimes because yeah. of – of high power the offenses are. What about Kurt Signetti to Indiana? A big time winner everywhere he's been. Uh, most recently, obviously, at James Madison. He hasn't been at this level. He has, hasn't been at the FBS level as a head coach, but he has the experience of being on Nick Saban's first staff at Alabama as the recruiting coordinator. He was at NC State as well, and he does not lack for confidence, Jake. Oh, yeah. I mean, coming out immediately taking shots at Michigan, at Ohio State. I think he said they're playing for a conference title next year. Yeah, right? yeah. No, he told us he'd be at the Big Ten Championship. Create game. urgency. All right, right, that's cool. Create urgency. That's fine whether that does or doesn't happen. I mean, this dude is not hes not batting an eye. He believes in his system. And I think there's, you know, when you think about a school, like, you know, when they're trying to hire a head coach, there's two different thoughts where you could pluck a coordinator from one of the best teams, or you can hire a guy that has that head coaching experience. That, that's a big deal. I mean, a head coach is a CEO. A coordinator is more about X's and O's. So him having that background and, of course, of course uh, being familiar with Saban, being able to draw on that experience, that, that's crucial. And how about this? He has won six different Conference Coach of the Year awards in three different conferences. So, I mean, yeah. the, the guy can coach some football and he knows how to manage a team. I, again, I think this is a slam dunk hire for the Hoosiers. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think that he – you look at turnarounds, too, to me, like what was the program when he got there and what was it when he left? I think the best example is Elon, where in the first year he got Elon going and, and increased the win total by six games. Like, that is not easy to do. So, he's a guy – it's pretty clear when you read from players who played for him that they think that he is a really brilliant – football mind and again like I, the confidence is great I mean to, to go out there that's what in, Indiana fans seem to be eating it up yeah right this notion that he's going to go in front of the crowd at the basketball game and and say what he said about teams in the Big Ten they like it they like the confidence never take the field expecting to lose right. period right never never take the field or even get on the bus if you're expecting to lose and you can say it's apples and oranges and obviously you know, I said he was at the FCS level I mean James Madison has transitioned to the FBS level here these last couple of years and to say they've done it well Absolutely. would be an understatement I mean, they've been ranked seven weeks in FBS in there the last go. two years like Indiana's been ranked 13 weeks in the last 30 years wow and this guy transitions a program into FBS and, and right to away. Watch. This is going to no, be an exciting team to watch. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Dramatic conclusion. Today, our big stat brought to you by Walgreens. Iowa's defense consistently great under Broyles Award winner Phil Parker. You look at all the top 20 scoring defenses nationally. This year's D as good as any in Parker's tenure. 
They've allowed a national best 18 plays of 20 yards or longer. Not only is that the fewest in the nation, no one else is really close. They've allowed 18. Michigan is next with 29. It's remarkable. Uh, it's, it is remarkable. And I just have to say, I am so happy to see Phil Parker win this award because we've been able to watch it. We've kind of have a front row seat, as I said to Joel, and year in and year out, they are excellent and they do not grandstand about it. They just go about their business, do their job, and do it as well, if not better, than any defensive staff in America. And they have no margin for error. Yes. Like, you talk about complimentary football. Like, the offense isn't helping. They, they know every single week they cannot retreat. And, in fact, the defense almost has to think like an offense. They have to create. They have to score points. They have to do, do things. So it's, it's really spectacular with the context. So, as we saw there, fourth in scoring defense this year at 13 points per game. Georgia was ninth in, in scoring defense at 17 points per game. So that's a difference of four points per game. How about this? They beat Illinois by two. That would have been a loss with that difference. They beat Nebraska by two. That would have been a loss. They beat North, Nebraska by three and Northwestern by three. So that's three games. If they, were, if they even had Georgia's defense, if they went from fourth to ninth, they would be seven and five on the year. Instead of ten and two, ten and three in the uh, ten and two in the regular season, ten and three with the postseason. And here's no margin for error. Right. Here's what's crazy to me is the 